Welcome to Biz Help For You with host Candy Messer. Entrepreneurs like to focus on the big picture, like profitability, success, and a smooth running organization. There always seems to be those little things like taxes, employee compensation, laws, regulations, and more. Now you can get the answers you need in one place. Join us today as we break it all down for you. Now, here is your host, Candy Messer. Hello, and welcome to Biz Help for You with Candy Messer. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you found the information on last week's show, How to Get Started in Business, The Essentials You Need to Succeed, informative. If you are unable to join us and you'd like to listen to the show, a link is located under the episode directory on my Voice America page, as well as links for iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. If there are topics you'd find beneficial or questions you have, please feel free to reach out to me at media at abandp.com. Now let's learn a little bit about our guest today. For more than 20 years, Stephen Goodman has provided insightful solutions to the challenges of business succession, wealth preservation, and charitable planning, focusing on the needs of owners of closely held businesses and high net worth individuals. He currently serves over 200 clients. Stephen Goodman has authored numerous trade articles for leading trade journals and has paired with some of the most respected names in banking and finance, among them J.P. Morgan Chase, to sponsor some 150 seminars about business succession and wealth preservation. His accomplishments have brought the attention of such publications as the New York Times. Stephen Goodman is a CPA who is vice president of the Trust and Investment Division of J.P. Morgan Chase and a supervisor for KPMG Pete Marwick. He holds an MBA from Fordham University. So, Stephen, welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Thank you, Candy. Well, I know this is a topic that a lot of people probably don't even think about, so I really wanted to have this discussion. Uh, but before we get into questions, I would love for you just to tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you actually got into helping business owners with succession planning. Well, um, when I was with J.P. Morgan back about 30 years ago, got very, very interested in the financial planning space. Banking industry was changing then, being allowed to do things that they weren't able to do prior to then. And decided I wanted to get into financial planning and quickly gravitated into dealing with a closely held business owner, which I found much more challenging and much more rewarding. It was much more interesting um, to do planning for families and, and business owners. And basically, for the last 30 years, that's where I've focused a lot of my energy. Mm, okay. So I would love for you to actually give a description of what succession planning is. I'm sure a lot of people know, but if you could just give kind of a definition as we go into this discussion of what we're really talking about. Well, anytime you own a business, whether you have a plan or you don't have a plan, because even when you don't have a plan, you actually do have a plan, mm -hmm. there is some succession to a business. You know, the succession is either going to be to family members, you know, if they're involved in the business, or maybe even if they're not. You could have other partners in the business that the business could end up going to. You have key employees. You could do an ESOP for all of your employees. You could sell your business. You know, any of those things are a succession really means when you're not there anymore, who is the next person who, who takes over your ownership in the business? 
Mm-hmm. And so many people just put that off thinking, well, I'll get to it you know, later. I'm not going to retire for another 10, 15, 20 years even. I'll think about it later. So I, I think the first question we really should get down to is why do business owners really just fail to plan for the succession of their business? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a, a multitude of reasons. I'll, I'll highlight some of them that I think are the, the key ones. Number one, everybody, everybody, not just business owners, has difficulties putting off things that they need to do today to do things that they need to do tomorrow. You know, we all procrastinate on things, and we're very busy. And especially when you're an entrepreneur and you own your own business, you have so many fires that you're putting out that to do business succession planning requires planning. It requires taking some time away from what you're doing on your day-to-day business and then, you know, taking that time and allocating it to something that really is not going to be a benefit, hopefully, for for many years in the future. So that that would be one reason. Second reason, especially when it pertains to family businesses, is is relates to family and relationships. So as an example, I'm a father of two children, they're not involved in my business, but you know, throughout their whole childhood, I'm always reinforcing to my kids, you know, I love you the same. You know, each of them they play you against one another. You bought mm-hmm. me this, I want this. You know, you just have to keep reinforcing to your kids throughout life, you know, I love you the same. I'm always going to treat you equally. And then one day you wake up and you're the founder of a business and you're 65 years old and you have this substantial business that maybe one of your kids is in the business and one or more of your kids is not in the business. And then you sit there and say, you know, I spent my whole life telling my children I love them the same and I'm always going to give them equal an equal amount from me, and now do I leave this business equally to all my kids, even though one or two of them are not in the business? Usually that's not the right plan. I mean, it's up to each individual. But if I'm not going to do that, like, how do I treat my kids fairly? And a lot of times they sit there and they say, like, I don't really know how to do this. Like, there's no Mm -hmm. fair way. And my son or daughter that's not involved in the business, let's say the son, I may not have a great relationship with my daughter-in-law, and I have grandchildren. My son has kids, and they're my grandkids. And, like, if I explain to them what I'm planning on doing, and my son gets very annoyed that he's not going to get a fair amount of equity in my net worth when when I'm not here anymore, he's going to explain it to his wife, who already doesn't love me and my wife. And now, all of a sudden, they're going to hold my grandchildren hostage to us and say, that's how you're treating us, you're not going to see your grandkids. So a lot of founders are are really afraid of how it's going to upset the family dynamics if they do this kind of planning and make these kind of decisions. So Mm -hmm. there are are many other reasons, but I would say those are probably two of the more common reasons. Right. And I would think just looking at that, too, you might be looking at one child who maybe is really interested or wants to be involved, but maybe that's not as much of their skill, maybe there's a different skill. So maybe figuring out how they can be involved using the skills and the strengths they have, you know, just that could be a challenge, I think, too. Yeah, I mean, there's no question. I mean, the child who's in the business may not necessarily be the child that's best equipped to run the business. You know, sometimes what happens, I mean, this is not uncommon, is children either graduate from college or they don't graduate from college and they try to find themselves. And many times the 
children that have the most trouble finding themselves could end up going into the family business because that's the security. I know I have a job. I know I'm going to get paid. And, you know, dad and mom are going to certainly take you into the business, even if maybe you you can't run the business in the future. Mm -hmm. And maybe your brother or sister who didn't come in, who was more skilled, decided to go on their own because they wanted to create their own business or their own career. And they may be the better one to actually run the business. Right. So understanding there's challenges around the succession planning and why people might be afraid to do it. Uh, we do know that we really should be starting planning before it's right around the corner. So when should someone start planning for the succession of their business? Well, that's actually a great question without like a great answer, because it's hard to give a specific answer. I think the way you have to look at it is that when you own a business, and let's make it, let's use more simplicity, a simplistic scenario where you're the sole owner of a business. You have to think about, like, what happens if something happens to me? Like, if I got disabled and couldn't work again or I were to die, what's the plan? So, mm-hmm. no matter, even if you're 40 years old, you need a plan. Now, if the plan is my kids are too young to come into the business or they can't be the successor, I don't really have employees that either financially could afford to buy my family out or equipped to run the business. And and I don't necessarily have a friend who has a similar business that could take over this business. Then the succession, if one of those things took place, is that the business is probably going to have to be sold or liquidated. And, and there you would want to make sure that your spouse had either ample liquidity to replace the value of the business when it's not there anymore or for the reduced value, or to provide capital to give the, the surviving spouse the opportunity to sell the business and not have to feel like they have to shut down because they don't have any capital. And sometimes mm-hmm. that comes from accumulation of wealth, and sometimes that just comes from having life insurance, and like key man or insurance, so that the family has some liquidity to give them some time, to buy them time. So you always should be thinking about succession planning, and you need to change it over time. Obviously, if your kids now come into business or you're taking a partner, well, that, that changes the dynamics, and now you have to look at a whole different type of a succession plan. And then maybe you have a second kid come into business, and now you have to modify the plan that you have because you have two kids in the business. So it's, it's like an ongoing thing. It's no different than when it comes to your wills and estate planning. You always have to keep updating it based on the circumstances. But even when you don't have a plan, you actually have a plan because if you die, your will leaves your business to somebody, typically your spouse or your kids, and that's going to be your succession plan, even though that may not be the right plan. Right. And I can see how potentially, you know, being a sole proprietor would be a lot more of a challenge, you know, for it to be able to continue on until someone could sell that business versus a company that has employees that can kind of maintain things until someone can come in and purchase it. Yeah, there's no question. I think that even if you have employees, you know, since the the founder is really the the key person running the business, you're mm-hmm. going to have to make sure that you have capital there to maintain the business, to either find a buyer or if you wanted to continue the business, to give you some protection due to the loss of the founder. Right. Yeah, there's so many things to think about. And I know we're going to talk about some mistakes. We're going to have a probably commercial in the next four minutes. So I think we could start talking on uh, this topic. And if we run out of time, because the commercial break, we'll come back and continue. But I would love to just start on what are some of the biggest mistakes that business owners would make when doing a succession plan? 
Yeah, I mean, I'll give you, I'll give you a bunch of them. Let's start very simplistically. You have a child that comes into the business, and many times what will happen is the owner of the business, the founder, may gift some shares to their child. And a mm-hmm. lot of times it's done in, in a very informal manner. It could be like, oh, I gave my kids shares. I, I valued it at book value. They maybe didn't even get their CPA involved, and they just give the kid a few shares in the company. So you have a multitude of issues there. Number one, you could have potentially gift tax issues because you may have significantly undervalued the shares that you gave to your child. Secondly, mm. many times I'll say to a business owner when I meet them and they tell me that they own 92% of the company and their son or daughter owns 8%, and I'll say, do you have an agreement with your child? And they'll say, like, what do you mean an agreement? I go, well, you gave your child shares of stock in the business. Are they married? Yes. Um, do they have a will? Uh, I don't know. If they have a will, who do you think they leave their assets to? Well, probably mm. their spouse. So if something would have happened to your son or daughter prior to your demise, which is not common but unfortunately does happen, you're now going to have as a shareholder your your son-in-law or your daughter-in-law. Now, yes, they may own a minority interest in the company and may not have a lot of power, but as a shareholder, you have a fiduciary obligation to your other shareholders. And trust me, that son-in-law or daughter-in-law can make your life miserable as a minority shareholder if you're not treating them fairly. So mm-hmm. that's a very – so the combination of informally gifting shares, not valuing them, giving them outright to your kids, not having an agreement with your children, that would be one of the more common things that I find people – people do. So that would be one example. A second example, and there's so many, uh, I have a book, which I'll get into later, that covers a lot of these things. A second example would be, I have a, I have a child in the business, and now I bring a new child into the business. And and my child has been in the business five, six, seven years, is, is making a certain amount of money, and they have certain responsibilities. And let's just say that my Second child to come into business is not as equipped as the first child. A, they haven't been in the business. They've been in the business a short period of time. The, the other child's been there for half a dozen years. And maybe they're not as skilled as the other child. So they come into the business, and basically the parent decides to give them some shares, maybe a similar amount of shares that they gave the other child. Maybe they don't pay them the same amount of money. But their succession plan is that when they die, they're going to leave the business 50-50 to their two children. Well, if you have two kids and one of them is getting paid more money and, and that one is also more equipped to run the business, and now when mom and dad are no longer here, or maybe when the founder is no longer here, everything's left 50-50, how long is it going to take for the second child to go to the first child and say, look, we're now 50-50 owners. You're not getting paid any more money than I'm getting paid. We're getting paid the same amount of money, and you can't make decisions without me. I have a 50-50 say in the running of the business, and thus, you know, you're not going to be able to make any of these decisions without me. So right. people haven't thought through that. Like, you know, do I want to leave this 50-50? Or if I leave it 50-50, do I want to put certain provisions either on the board or in management agreements whereby maybe the child who has the more knowledge at least is allowed to make certain decisions without needing the vote of the other child, but at the same time you have to protect the second child because the first child could then just you know, raise their salary and pull all the profits out of the business, so there has to be some mechanism in there also to, to protect the other child. So right. that, would be, uh, that would be 
you know, another example. Um, so much to think about, actually. We actually, let's go to a break right now. We're going to come back. We'll continue talking about this question on, you know, the business succession planning. Uh, you're listening to Biz Help for You with Candy Messer on Voice America Internet Radio. We'll be right back after this brief commercial break. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Are you up late at night after a long day's work trying to do your bookkeeping? Are you frustrated with your lack of QuickBooks knowledge or feel you don't understand it at all? Do payroll tax calculations and reporting stress you out? Whether you're a sole proprietor or an officer of a corporation, Affordable Bookkeeping and Payroll Services is here to help. We work with overwhelmed entrepreneurs to remove the burden of bookkeeping and payroll tasks, giving them peace of mind and the freedom to do the parts of the business they love. Our bookkeeping clients include service-based businesses, such as medical offices, fast food restaurants, landscapers, and gyms. We also assist franchise owners to create the necessary reports to submit each month. We are a full-service payroll company, assisting clients of 1 to 120 employees. We offer full and self-service options. If you're ready to offload tasks that burden you, reach out to us today at 310-534-5577 or email contact at abandp.com. Call us today. Have peace of mind tonight. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Biz Help For You. If you have a question or comment about the show, send us an email to media at abandp.com. That's media at abandp.com. Now, back to Biz Help For You. Welcome back to Biz Help For You with Candy Messer. In the last segment, Stephen Goodman told us about his background and how he began working with those who need to do their succession planning. So let's continue our discussion. Uh, so, Stephen, when we left uh, for the commercial break, uh, we were talking about some of the mistakes business owners make, and I'm sure you had another one you wanted to share. So can you give us another example? Yeah, another one would be I have three kids in my business. And, and again, let's take, forget for a minute the skills of the three of them and, and you know, what each of them does and what they're getting compensated. Again, many times what parents will do is they'll leave the business to all three of them equally, and they really haven't thought through, you know, what does two of them team up against the third one? Like, you know, when you have three one-third owners of the business, a brother and a sister can always vote together and outvote the other sibling and continually make decisions in the business as to their compensation, their bonuses, their benefits and perks, and, you know, just decisions as to the operation of the business and constantly have the third sibling not have any control. So they own a third of the business, owning like a piece of paper, and it doesn't really give them any kind of protection. So, again, a lot of, time, a lot of times those things could be handled. A lot of times those things could be handled, again, through the board and through management agreements to protect to protect the operation of the business. You know, some certain decisions you want to have unanimous so that unless all three siblings agree they can't do something, other decisions you may want to be able to allow the majority to make the decisions, but at the same time you don't want to let that those decisions be made whereby the, the, the one-third owner just constantly ends up being put in a place where they have no protection. 
So, mm-hmm. you know, that would be uh, another example. I'll give you a, another one which I've run into a couple of times, which is, you know, an unfortunate situation. Uh, I meet with a business owner and um, nice big building, very looks like a real successful business. And I come into the office and I meet with the person who I believe is the owner of the business. And they, they look like they're in their 50s, early 60s. And I ask them, um, what percentage of the business do you own? And they say, I don't own any of the business. So I kind of think I know what may have happened here, but then I ask a second question, who owns the business? And he goes, my mother. And then mm-hmm. I, I kind of know where this thing is going, but I ask him, I go, how did that happen? And he says to me that my dad unfortunately died early. He died like in his early 60s. He didn't have any plan. I was in my 30s. I had just been in the business a short period of time. When he died, he had a very simple will. He left everything to my mom. And basically, there's a big difference between being a mother and a wife and being a widow. When, mm-hmm. when, uh, when somebody's husband, which for people in that age category, most businesses were run by a man, even though that's obviously changing today. But if we use that as an example, you know, dad ran the business, dad controlled the finances, mom wasn't involved in the business. When dad dies, mom becomes very scared because... The business was run by their husband. He's not here anymore, and he handled all the finances, so they get very conservative and protective. So in this particular case, mom got the stock when she was 60. Now she's like mid-80s, and she's never been willing to give up any of the stock to the son. The son, meantime, took the business from a $5 million business to a $50 million business. But I told him, I said, you have a lot of problems. Number one, when mom dies, this $50 million business is going to be in mom's estate. And there's going to be substantial estate taxes due when mom dies. Even though you grew the business from $5 million to 50, the government doesn't care. Mom owned it, so you're still going to have to pay tax. In addition, I said, out of your three siblings, of which you're the only one in the business, who has the best relationship with your mom and who has the worst? And he said, my sister has the best. She takes the most care of my mom. Her kids, you know, my mom's grandkids, she's closest with them. And I have the worst relationship with mom because we always have friction over the business. I think mom's taking too much money out of the business. I want to reinvest it in the business. And she kind of still treats me like I'm her son who doesn't know what he's doing. And and thus, because of that, I said, you realize when mom dies, you don't even know if you're going to inherit any of this business. I mean, theoretically, she could leave this business to two other siblings, and you were the one who built this, and you could get nothing, or she could leave it a third, a third, a third to the three of you, and you don't have any control over the business, even though you're the one who built it. And he started sweating and kind of probably things he probably knew, but never kind of was really hit over the head with it. And, uh, you know, really concerned him because he's invested all of his most important years of his life building a business that he may never get or have any control over. So, you know, there's, there's the book I've written, you know, goes into so many of these kind of, you know, fact patterns and scenarios that, that address a lot of these issues. So I would love to also touch on, because we're talking on family issues right now and some of the mistakes, but there are other, you know, potential, you know, owners of the company if you're going to do a succession plan. So what about some mistakes if you have a partner or, you know, if you want to sell to an outsider, what are some of the mistakes that people might be making in those situations? Well, some of the most common issues I find with partners are that, you know, number one, the, the structure of the company, again, 
it goes back to what I said before. If there's two partners and you're 50-50, you kind of get deadlocked. And a lot of times the business owners really haven't thought about, like, how do we break a deadlock? If there's three owners in a business, then it goes back to what I said before. Two owners can constantly team up against the third owner, and then how is that protected? Which decisions should be made by by the owners unanimously, even though they're not related, which should be made by majority? You know, you could have four owners, and you end up with, you know, three out of the four can team up against the others. So you have those kind of issues. Then when when it comes to death, you know, death or disability, let's say I have two owners, some of the problems that I normally find, A, they have not done a valuation of their business, maybe since the time they originally set up a shareholders agreement, which could be 30 years ago. And thus, the mechanism to determine the valuation may not be, may not be an accurate way of doing it. And the, the valuation may be way higher or way lower than the business is really worth. Then that usually ties into insurance. You know, many times people will buy life insurance to fund a buyout. Usually you'll find the business is way underinsured. The valuation of the business is much higher than what the insurance amount is, and the business may not be able to afford to buy the partner out because the cash flow needed to do it just may not be there. And it hurts both. It hurts the the deceased family, because they may never get their money, and it hurts the surviving family because he may not have the cash flow to buy out the other partner. Mm -hmm. Then you run into issues like disability. Disability is very difficult because you usually can't insure it. It's very hard to insure it. So many times it's an unfunded obligation when you have a buyout in the event of a permanent disability. You know, somebody who goes and gets in a car accident, bangs their head, they didn't die, but they're they're not functioning anymore, and they really can't, they, or they've lost their ability to speak or their ability to see, and, and they can't really function, but they didn't die, so there's no death benefit, and there's really, it's very hard to fund that with insurance, and many times that becomes a very difficult decision. Do I want there to be a buyout if somebody gets disabled, but I can't afford it? Or do I want to let a disabled partner continue to share in the profits and growth in the business if they're not producing? So, you know, those are a big issue. And the last big issue with partners usually pertains to the business real estate, where I own 50-50 of the business, and, and Candy, you own, and, and you own 50-50 of the business and the real estate that the business is in. And uh, the lease payments usually are not real lease payments. They're just enough to cover the mortgage and the property taxes and expenses. And now... I die and you buy me out of the business, but I pass the real estate to my wife. So now you own 100% of the business. My wife owns 50% of the real estate and you own 50%. Obviously, you want to pay as little rent as possible because you're taking money out of the business you own 100% of and you're giving half of that to my wife. My wife wants as much rent as possible because she doesn't own the business. And a lot of times that has really been thought out and thus leads to a lot of friction and litigation in those mm -hmm. scenarios. So again, there's more, but that kind of hits upon some of them. Right. Well, as you're talking, I'm thinking there's probably four or five professionals that could be involved in this to help, you know, whether it's, you know, legal and contracts and coming up with things or the valuation. So I would just love to hear from you, you know, what type of advisors are normally part of this planning process? Well, you know, and, and this is an important thing because some, some business owners 
have their, you know, number one go-to advisor, which is usually either their CPA or their lawyer, and sometimes that person is the sole person involved in the process, which I think is a really, really big mistake, but it happens sometimes. Usually the team, if you had everybody involved, you would have your CPA, you would have some tax or estate lawyer, possibly a corporate lawyer. You'd have some financial advisor. You may have an insurance professional that's involved. And you could even potentially, depending on what the family dynamics are, you could potentially have even some like business consultant therapist who's really like a, a therapist, but not for personal issues, more for business-related issues. Mm-hmm. So those are kind of like the various team members that, that could potentially be in the process. Well, I feel, you know, with some of the things you were talking about earlier, too, just in terms of having, you know, your operating agreements or, you know, different things going on, obviously, you need to have your legal person, your lawyer being able to help you through this process and drawing up those contracts and helping you figure out, you know, the ramifications. And of course, CPA to figure out the tax ramifications of each type of if you're selling it, you know, and what the stock options and things are and financial planners, estate planners. I mean, you've even talked about the business going into an estate when someone passes away and making sure you have that all set up. So I, I can just see so many different professionals that are needed in this arena. And I think especially small business owners probably feel they can't afford, you know, to really go and have these professional services. And I think that's a lot of times why they don't have the right amount of insurance or they haven't really planned all these things. So, I mean, what would you tell someone then who really should start this plan, but they're just kind of afraid, like, I can't afford, you know, to do this? What would you recommend? Well, sometimes you can't afford not to do it. You know, that's always the catch-22. You know, look, if somebody doesn't have the cash flow to do something, you know, then they what they have to look at is how are they allocating their, their cash flow today, and is there something that maybe isn't as important as this that they could take some of the money that they're allocating towards that and maybe put it into another direction. I mean, obviously, any money they're investing in their business that they think is going to help them grow their business, it's going to be very difficult for them to allocate that money to something like this. So they may have to look at some of their personal expenses. You know, generally, I would say to you, I have... I'm not going to say that I haven't found people kind of try to do this in a cheap way and thus they make mistakes because that does happen. The money usually isn't. I usually find the time commitment even more than the money is is the reason a lot of people don't do this type of work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can understand that that would be the case. So I know we're going to be going to a commercial in just a couple minutes, but I would love to just start, if we don't have time to finish, we can come back and and continue it, but start talking about the problems that can happen when the advisors are working together versus when they're not working together. Yeah, you know, two of the biggest things I find, number one, there there are founders that like to bifurcate their advisors. They don't like them all to be in the room at the same time because it allows them to maintain control. And if all of the advisors get together and they all agree that there's something the business owner is not doing right, it's very hard for the business owner to like kind of poo-poo it because these are all the people they trust. And if they all think they should be doing something, it's pretty hard to kind of push back. It's easier to do that when you're working with them individually. So one issue I find is sometimes the founder doesn't want the owners working together for that reason. The other big problem you run into is some people don't play nice in the sandbox. So mm. there, 
many times one of the advisors, and it would typically be the CPA of employer, is the one who's got the real closest, tightest relationship with the client. And sometimes they don't like to give up control. So they want to maintain the control, and they want to kind of keep the other people out. They want to keep the process going and keep control of it. And that's, it's really not doing what's in the best interest for the client because with all due respect, no matter how smart that person is, there are so many parts of this process that they're not an expert in. And by leaving a lot of the other advisors out of the equation, they're really not helping their client. And it's selfish. And, but unfortunately, that happens a lot. So that's the other big issue I find. It's either the business owner or the, the one of the advisors trying to be in control is usually what causes most of those problems. Mm. I can see where that could potentially happen. Hopefully it wouldn't, but like you said, it, it does happen periodically. Um, but right now it is time to take another quick break. So be sure to hang around to hear more from Stephen Goodman of SHG Planning on how to plan for business succession. We'll be right back after a brief commercial break. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Are you up late at night after a long day's work trying to do your bookkeeping? Are you frustrated with your lack of QuickBooks knowledge or feel you don't understand it at all? Do payroll tax calculations and reporting stress you out? Whether you're a sole proprietor or an officer of a corporation, Affordable Bookkeeping and Payroll Services is here to help. We work with overwhelmed entrepreneurs to remove the burden of bookkeeping and payroll tasks, giving them peace of mind and the freedom to do the parts of the business they love. Our bookkeeping clients include service-based businesses, such as medical offices, fast food restaurants, landscapers, and gyms. We also assist franchise owners to create the necessary reports to submit each month. We are a full-service payroll company, assisting clients of 1 to 120 employees. We offer full and self-service options. If you're ready to offload tasks that burden you, reach out to us today at 310-534-5577 or email contact at abandp.com. Call us today. Have peace of mind tonight. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to BizHelp for You. If you have a question or comment about the show, send us an email to media at abandp.com. That's media at abandp.com. Now, back to BizHelp for You. Welcome back to Biz Help for You with Candy Messer. Today, I'm chatting with Stephen Goodman of SHG Planning. Let's find a bit more information from him on building a plan for business succession. So, Stephen, right before the break, we were talking about having a team of advisors. Can you just talk about how your firm fits into being a team of advisors? Yeah, well, this is, I guess, my unique selling proposition, what I think makes me different than a lot of the people that work on succession planning. Because I have a multidisciplinary background, then the room consists of a CPA, an attorney, a financial advisor, an insurance professional, uh, you know, maybe somebody with pension expertise, and possibly even somebody who's doing the, the therapy work, although certainly I'm not going to say that I have that background. 
everybody in the room is smart and everybody in the room knows their area of expertise and everybody in the room knows a certain amount about what everybody else in the room is talking about. I would say when I'm in that room, I am the person in the room that knows everything that everybody in that room is speaking about. There's not one thing that's going to be covered by the CPA, the lawyer, the financial advisor, the insurance professional, that I don't understand every tax issue, legal issue, financial issue, product-related issue. So kind of that's really what makes me unique. Having me on your team allows you to make sure that nothing slips through the cracks because there's so many different things that tie into succession and estate planning that it's important to make sure, you know, nothing, uh, nothing would slip through. So that, right. that's how kind of I fit in what I think makes me different than most of the people on the team. Okay. Well, and I know we were talking earlier about, you know, some of the issues if you're, you know, talking about family or if you're talking about partners, but we haven't really talked too much about, you know, the key employees and having them take over. So I would love to really talk about, you know, what would work or what wouldn't work when you're planning a succession to an employee or more than one employee. Yeah, this is always a very difficult one because, you know, the employees generally don't have capital, and they may not have the ability to borrow it that easily. So if if an, a founder is going to pass the business on to one or more employees, generally, to some degree, he or she is buying themselves out because, mm-hmm. in essence, they're going to have to give a note, you know, take back a note from from the from the employees to pay them out over a period of time, and the employees are going to take the profits from the business and hopefully be able to pay the owner back over that period of time. A, there's a risk that they may not be able to keep the business running the way the owner did before, and the owner may have to keep their fingers involved longer than they want to to secure the ability to get that money back. So it's usually a very, very difficult thing to work something like that out. Um, mm-hmm. Some What some people are doing, which is usually only for fairly substantial businesses, is sometimes people using ESOP as a way to be bought out. And, you know, we don't have enough time, you know, to, to go into it in great detail, but there are some significant tax advantages if you if you're bought out by an ESOP, which means all your employees are buying you out. Um, you know, basically, there are some major tax advantages. There's the potential to receive the proceeds and not pay any capital gains taxes on the money that you receive, which you normally would if you sold it to an outsider. There's ways to ultimately have the business down the road. If it's an S-corporation and the S-corporation is owned 100% by an ESOP, in essence, the business doesn't pay tax anymore because an ESOP is, is the pension plan. They don't pay tax on any of the money inside of it. And over time, all of the owners of the business, you know, uh, you know, all the employees become owners of the business, and one of the things that keeps the, the founder involved, besides wanting to get their money, is many times the founder gets warrants in the business because of the fact that they're taking back some of this, you know, financing themselves because the bank's not going to fully finance this. And by having those warrants, ultimately they could end up getting value in the business a second time in the future above and beyond being bought out. So if you have a, a good management team that, that couldn't afford to buy out the business, and ESOP, especially for a, a very profitable business, is something that 
an owner should be taking a look at. It's complicated and will require, you know, an hour just on that subject alone. Right, right. So it sounds like, too, if, say, someone realizes the family isn't really going to work out and they don't really have partners, they're just a sole proprietor, and employees don't look like they're going to be able to take over. So now we're going to look at selling it just to an outside person. Like, what are some of the things that they should consider around that scenario? Well, it's always a difficult thing because, you know, a lot of people are afraid to the marketplace to get confidential information, even though people will sign non-competes, and they're afraid that it gets out in the market that they're thinking of selling because, you know, maybe their employees hear about it or their banker hears about it or their vendors hear about it. So it's always a very, very delicate thing to do something like that. So, you know, generally what I recommend to people is, you know, if they don't really have a successor and and they're not ready to sell yet, you know, they just have to make sure that they're leaving their family with enough money to either live comfortably, you know, A, live comfortably, B, make up for the value depreciation that's going to occur in the business if it has to be sold when they're not here, mm-hmm. and also capital to keep the business going, to buy the time, to keep to get the proper buyer to buy the business. Um, in addition, you know, they probably have to see if they have some relationships with people that would be the appropriate buyer that they really trust, that they can have conversations with to maybe, you know, buy the business if something were to happen to them or down the road if, if they wanted to sell the business. But it's always a very delicate and difficult situation. Yeah, I can see how that could be an issue. And it could take a long time to actually just find someone, if, especially if there was no intention to even sell yet and there was an accident or something, to find a buyer and to have enough you know, revenue coming in, especially, again, if it was a sole proprietor you know, and there's no one actually doing the work, that could be a huge issue. So I know a lot of things to really think about. There's so much on this topic to even have to really think through and we're just barely like scratching the surface I know of just on this discussion. So, but I know you said you, um, do have a book with some examples. I know we do have time to talk about that right now as well. Um, so if you want to, I'm going a little bit early, uh, to talk about that, but go ahead and start talking about like the book and maybe some of the other things you might be covering in there as well. Yeah. Well, the book was written candy for the business owner, not for the accountant or attorney. It, mm-hmm. I'm not going to say that there aren't some complicated things in the book, but it, a lot of the book is hands-on practical, you know, advice. So, like, a little bit of what we talked about earlier, like, there'll be a section, you know, if you have one child in the business and kids not in the business, and then we have two kids in the business and a, and a child not in the business, we have three kids in the business and, a, and children not in the business, you know, partnerships, you know, where... You're 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 50-50 partners. You're a majority owner of the business. One of you has kids. One doesn't. You know, second spouses. You know, people who have gotten divorced and may not have a prenup with their second spouse. And it kind of hits upon so many of the different scenarios. And then, what are all of the problem areas that you find? You know, in each of those scenarios. Then there's sections on a shareholders agreement, you know, if you're going to enter into one with whether it's your children or a non-related party, what are all of the provisions that are important to having a shareholders agreement and why? Then there's a whole section on, you know, all the types of insurance that relate to buy-sell agreements, life insurance, disability insurance, not so much the products, but more 
how you structure it. Is the company the owner of the policies? Do the partners own the policies? Are there LLCs or trusts that own the policies? What are the tax advantages and disadvantages of each way that you structure these things? Um, you know, there's issues about employees and ESOPs and, and, you know, how you deal when you have employees potentially taking over as, as the ownership of the business. So it kind of goes into all those areas. It's, you know, it's about a 100-page book. And like I said, it was written more for the for the entrepreneur than it was written for the mm-hmm. advisor. And uh, you know, one of the things that I'm offering to all your listeners is if they go to stephengoodman.biz, um, they will be able to download a free copy of of the book. Okay, perfect. Well, as you were talking to, I was just thinking, you know, there's so much to know on this topic. And again, we could barely, you know, really start discussing it. But if someone is thinking like, oh, I really need to start doing a succession plan, what would you tell them really is the first step to even starting that process? Well, I, I would say that, you know, take a step back and, and, and try to objectively look at where you are today. And, you know, again, you know, are kids in the business, are kids not in the business, how old are you, how old are they, you have partners, key employees, and really think through, like, realistically, if something happened to me today, what would happen to this business? You know, mm-hmm. can the business really function without me? You know, and a lot of people have big egos, so they may feel that if something happened to them, nobody could run their business. So you, you have to objectively look at that and kind of really think through what are some possible things that could happen. And then I would say, you know, the next step is, you know, you have to either get your whole team together or, you know, you know find a consultant that specializes in this and sit down and at least have preliminary conversations to understand what options you have. And then ultimately, you know, you need to get your team involved. And then a lot of it is communication, you know, the willingness to ultimately communicate to your family what your wishes are and why you're doing it. And as I mentioned earlier, sometimes people find that very difficult. Mm-hmm. Well, and one thing I was also thinking, it seems to me like some businesses may not really have the capability of succession. Like, for instance, you know, maybe there's like a therapist and it's just the one therapist who runs the business and they're the ones doing all the therapy or something, you know, or maybe a dentist or something. So are there some businesses that you would say, really, if you're not involved, you're there really is no business and there's nothing to really have a plan for? Or is there still something they can sell? Like, can they just sell their clients or something? You know, I'm not sure how that might work. Yeah, no, no, you're right. I mean, a lot of service businesses are very difficult to sell because, you know, what is if it, Look, selling while you're alive versus selling when you're not alive is very different. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you're in a service business, you're a dentist, you're a doctor, you're a lawyer, you're a CPA, you're a financial advisor, you know, while you're alive, you could sell those businesses. There could be a succession, and it could be to your employees, or, or you could find somebody in your field that you sell to. I mean, there are constantly, doc, you know, accounting firms, law firms, you know, financial planning firms that are sold you know, uh, dentists, doctors, it's very, very common. When you don't do that plan and often that you get sick or die, then it becomes much more difficult because you're not there to negotiate it, and it almost mm-hmm. becomes like a for sale, and there really is no transition. I can't transition you into meeting my clients. And, you know, if you think about it, if you're a financial advisor and you're managing people's money and they know you and they trust you and you die or you're sick and now – you sell it to Joe, and these people don't know who Joe is, you know, probably half the clients are going to leave. They're going to say, well, 
I don't know who Joe is. I'm not going to stay just because of Joe. I'll find somebody maybe that my son or daughter or a friend is, is dealing with. So you're never going to get real value for the business because it's going to be hard to maintain the clients if you aren't there to kind of transition it. Right. So I know, you know, we've had so much information. I know you mentioned, you know, where people can download, you know, that book, but I would love for you maybe to tell us how listeners can also connect with you if you have any social media or website or a phone number you would like to share for people to be able to reach out. Right. So, so the, the Stephen got biz there, you would go just principally to, to download my book. If you go to my website, which is shgplanning.com, I have about 60 articles in my blog written on not just business succession, business succession, estate planning, investments, insurance, annuities, long-term care, disability, you know, Social Security, Medicare. There's just a, a wealth of, of, of information there that people could certainly read on, on my site. Um, in terms of getting in touch with me, my email address is sgoodman at shgplanning.com. And obviously in this COVID world where a lot of people really aren't working in their offices, my cell number, 516-297-7390, is the best place to reach me. Happy to you know provide a free consultation to anybody who has some questions. They could email me or call me. I'd be happy to, to give them some advice. And like I said, you know, getting the book and the articles would certainly provide them with a lot of great information. Yeah, it does sound like you have a lot of great resources there available for them on the website and, and blogs, like you said, to read, to give them just maybe some overview of information, too. If uh, they're not quite sure they're ready for this, they can get some information. And then when they are ready to start this plan, kind of reach out and, you know, talk with the professionals and get that plan in place. Um, so I just I wanted to thank you, Stephen, for actually being a, a guest on my show today. I know this time has gone by fast and there's so much more we probably could cover. Um, so thank you so much for your time. And Candy, I appreciate it. This was great. I appreciate the opportunity to to speak to your to your audience and and you know just wished everybody the best. And we're all dealing with tough times right now, and hopefully everybody will be safe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so much so. So, and I do want to also thank you, the listener, for tuning in to the show today. I hope you found this topic interesting and that it answered some of the questions about business succession planning. If you have any additional questions or comments, be sure to reach out to Stephen at any of the links that he shared or send us a message at media at abandp.com. And would you please share our show information with those you know? I'd really appreciate your support. Next week's topic is solution selling. Are you a consultant or a vendor? I hope you can join us for this presentation. And please remember you can connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And my website is www.abandp.com. Links can be found on my Voice America page. Remember to tune in each Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And if you can't join us for the live show, you can find the episode saved on the business channel on voiceamerica.com or find the podcast posted on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Until next time, have a great week. Thank you for listening to BizHelp for You. Please join your host, Candy Messer, again next Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a terrific week.